Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Welcome to episode 20 of Bug Eye's Rock Pop Rambles. I'm Angela from Bug Eye and I'm here with Kerry again. Can't get rid of her. She's just. I know. I'm just hanging around like a bad smell, don't I? Yeah, exactly. It's just any anytime I say, right, who's doing the podcast? Kerry's like, me, me, hand up, hand up. <laughs> Clearly, I need more of a life. <laughs> joke, joke. But we've got a very, very special guest this week who I'm dead excited about. It's the fairy godmother of rock and it is Kathy St. Luce. Round of applause. Woo! Cheers. Woo! She's honestly someone who is so inspirational to us all. Bug Eye wouldn't be where we are today, sat in lockdown, if it wasn't for Cat. No, I'm joking. It's not her fault. <laughs> um, no, but like everything good that's happened to us and so many other bands has a lot to do with this lady. So we're absolutely honoured that she's on the show. Hello, Kathy. Oh, hello. And thank you for calling me a lady. I'm so excited. <laughs> <laughs> Because the thing is, is this is um, I, I listen to the podcast, but usually I'm just listening, and then it's like you're in my front room, and then now oh. I'm going to be on it. Well, I hope I don't ruin it. I hope you get to do a twenty-one. Let's put it that way. <laughs> it would it would be it would be hard to make it any worse than what we manage <laughs> on our own. So I think you're fine. <laughs> So I guess I guess a bit about Kathy. I mean, she's worked worked with absolute legends um, in in PR and personally knows so many fabulous people within the music industry. But just to drop a few names: Manic Street Preachers, Radiohead. Um, you worked with Miss Black America back in the time as well, didn't you? When they were, I mentioned. Yeah, I, I, yeah, they were. Well, they they're actually still hot. Um, and yeah, lo- lots of bands over the years and um, working with them in all sorts of capacities. So from sort of like mainstream industry PR um, to, um, yeah, just to do it because I'm claustrophobic. So I could get into grassroots music venues again and actually feel even more involved. And yeah, yeah I just love it. You've, you've worked with the blinders, you've worked with us. Not that that is like any kind of like thing to put in your CV necessarily after this podcast. But um, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, you've worked with so, so many bands. Um, the, thing, the thing is, is like um, some of the other the bands that I've worked with earlier are famous, but there's no drop in quality of the bands that I work with. I mean, I'm really excited by um, tunes, composition, ideas, the musical activism around the band. There's so much more that kind of, um, and then you, you, next thing you know, you think, well, I'm at the gig again. <laughs> As you know, I keep popping up like a bad smell all the time. Like, oh, hello, I'm down. And I dance really badly. I love that. That's some of the best fun I have is I, I dance. I think you like dance badly. brilliantly. I, I don't think, think you the, dance badly at all. You're the best person to have at a gig and you also have the zine uk which do you want to talk a little bit about that because we've we've got listeners from around the globe so they don't necessarily know or understand half the things we probably say on here with slang and mispronunciations and all sorts but um but yeah so the zine uk do you want to explain a bit a little bit about that yes um the zine uk is like um for the last six years i've been 
um, documenting with the really fantastic cast and crew of friends. I'm the um, live events department, but we've got like a, a crazy, um, it sounds like they're not real people, but we've got like a, a, a spell, which is Dizzy Spell, Jean, a genie, Jean Genie, a couple of wizards, Manifa of which, we've got a <laughs> Joe from the Moon, we've got Heather the Minx, you, you, you couldn't make it up, but we're all, they're all real people. And this story weaves from, um, you know, the folk tales of old are made from everyday people. Yeah. These are everyday people. And for the last decade, Britain has lived under austerity and the poverty has made it impossible, um, you know, almost impossible to, for bands to become famous if they don't have enough either hipness or money or whatever behind them. But what has happened is nature gets into people and makes them somehow have bigger songs and bigger performances. And that, and um, the truth of the matter is that a lot of artists who are in the small venues that Music Venue Trust are saying, please help us save our venues, are actually some of the biggest fucking rock stars I've ever seen. I've absolutely... I'm absolutely blown away. I can't believe my luck. And um, the great thing about being a mad old bat deluxe is that um, when I take people of all ages, whether it's like teenagers or pensioners, to see these bands and they're like, oh, I see. They, all, they, they would have all got onto TV in the 20th century, but we don't have the music programmes now. But that's okay because, you know what, maybe this, I feel, is what will revive the economy is if we can get back into the small venues um, and just get a ticket, go to a show in these venues because um, it involves everybody. The cottage industry is built around the bands as the bands mm -hmm. grow um, it, and the education community, all of these things. And the Zine UK is basically, in short, um, documenting what happens when um, you, you follow the story of um, artists in austerity. And it's not always a good thing. It's bad stories because it's real life. It's like bands have to um, change lineups, break up, um, you know, they run out of money, they run out of love, they run out of energy. So to be honest, any band that can actually keep going through everything that is there then just give them everything because they are the heroes that you heard about. And the UK doesn't stand for um, United Kingdom or Untied Kingdom or what are that crap. It stands for United Kin because there are only three degrees of separation from the people in those pages. And you go to chapter one to whatever chapter we're on now. I can't even be bothered to yeah. number them properly <laughs> because, um, you know, like I'll get halfway through one, for instance, and then Brexit came and I just saw, oh, fuck it, I'm ending it now, this chapter. But the, oh, sorry about all the swearing, by the way. Um, <laughs> you can swear well, as much yeah. as you like, it's fine. <laughs> yeah, so so many bands from, like when, when you and I kind of um, first met, I suppose, um, Gosh, how many years ago was that? But like from from the bands you were putting on at grassroots nights, um, from from there being like you know a handful of people in the room to see that band to then where that that story has taken them and where they are today is is incredible. And there's just 
the, the, the kind of community that's around it. It's like groups of promoters all working together, bands all working together to support each other. I think it's like just creating a new version, a better version of what the music industry could and should should be, really. It, it, it not only is, but it is, I call it the newer wave music industry yeah. because I think that um, it's, a, it's a welcome addition because whereas um, something that's so set in stone and tradition and establishment needs to go, all right, what we need is we need to do this much gender, this much diversity, this, that and yeah. thingy. We're, well, that's what we've got already because that yeah. is actually what happens in real life you know and this and so we've not had to do that so when you get to crow crow land you get a blueprint of a festival not having to go oh we've got like the pink pussy stage and we've got the this stage or the that stage because actually it was just the the great day out you know and yeah. although people i think people are a little bit obsessed who were there but you can't help it because it was like a sort of secret garden party meets I don't know I don't know I just don't know it was just like the best party and it's flavoured how things are and I and I think that lockdown would be a whole different um, experience if you know promoters like Crocoland, This Feeling, Modern mm -hmm. Age, King Out the Jam, Loud Women, you know all the balcony posse if people like that weren't around and you didn't have platforms like Banumi where like Simon is so passionate and I love Nothing. it because when he dances, he revs his hands up first. So I feel <laughs> <laughs> he revs up to dance. And that's how beautiful the bloody people that we're in, this community. It's like an extended family. And the thing is, it's not kind of um, utopia. It's got all its imperfections, all the imperfections of real life but at its core it is the way to do music industry and you've got like yeah. a, and um, even the way that people are saying well print media is over but look but then you've got like these young girls they're just putting out print media putting it out limited selling it out and they you know and and the thing with with print is you can have it for 50 60 100 years so it's not it, you know if you and and i like that people are like the same way I like vinyl and thank you yeah. for my album. Thank oh, you so much. you got it. Oh, good. I'm glad. <laughs> well, so, sorry, I've got thingied off there, but I mean, this is <laughs> it's great because you, you, I've got like a um, collection from over the years and I like putting the, actually physically putting all your new um, vinyls next to your vinyls from over the years. And then it's like, yeah. okay, this is the exact story that we're saying is that, you know, you might, there are people who've got really famous. Um, there are a lot of songs that could be really famous if they're given a chance, if people get the chance to hear them. Um, there's not, there's not really, you know, there's a disconnect between um, the establishment and well, call the funment, whatever it yeah. is. Um, but, that's okay too because it gives you know I just don't want people to run out of money I don't want venues to run out of money because mm. eventually this message will hit home and it, yeah I have worked with some people who I'm so glad that they not only got successful but have maintained it but they weren't famous mm. at first anyway they've all done the whole nobody in the crowd yeah. 
thing where you know there's no one there to see them. And I think, in fact, the the, the evening that the Mannix got signed, um, there were so few people there that you could hear the balls hitting in the pool, pool, pool. <laughs> oh, <laughs> between, between the songs. <laughs> it doesn't matter because they were great. You know, another time, um, I took someone down to see Manson at, at Newport TJ's. And there were literally 23 people in the venue. And a lot of them were the door staff, the bar staff. And it was yeah. November. They left the house lights on. And there were a row of around nine of us with our coats and scarves on because it was so cold. And again, it was still one of like the best venue, best gigs that I've been to. I've got really yeah. happy memories. because It was like the band just came and I thought, yeah, we'll play like we're playing Wembley Stadium or whatever. And good luck to them for getting a number one album after that, you know. it's like. And so what, actually, so talking about how important music is, the theme of the show today is protest songs. So we're going to be talking about some of our favourite protest songs that have, have stood out. And as people know, I normally ramble. So I've, I've got one song I'm going to talk about. <laughs> One. I started off doing lists of five and then I narrowed things down to three. And now I'm like, no, no, no. I'm going to do one song. Kerry's going to do a song. Kathy's going to talk about some some, some music as well. And and I think, um, you know, we've got new new bands to play that we think you should be checking out too. And if there's time, we'll talk about more songs. But if not, then um, it's it's more, more content for another show, I suppose. Um, yeah. So with that... Um, I don't know, Kerry. Should you? Should you? I think start? It, it, prob- it probably makes sense for me to start with the song that I'm talking about and why I'm talking about it. I think it makes sense if I go first. Go on then. So uh, I am talking about the song that is sort of widely considered to be kind of the first real popular protest song, um, which is uh, "Strange Fruit." Um, as performed by Billie Holiday in 1939. So, I mean, there would, of course, have sort of been protest songs before that that, you know, were were sung on picket lines and at party meetings, you know, with specific goals in mind, like join the union, fight the bosses, win the strike, you know, these sorts of songs that everyone would sing together at, at protests and stuff like that. And I'm sure you could also find black protest songs being sung by blues and folk singers, you know, in the South, which were never recorded. Um, You know, these songs were not sort of for the purpose of entertainment and kind of had nothing to do with mainstream popular music, which is, I think, why Strange Fruit sort of is the one that gets sort of, yeah, is widely considered to be the first one in that context, if that makes sense. Yeah. So um, the song was written by Abel Mirapol, who was actually a white Jewish communist, who, after coming across a horrific photograph of a double lynching, um, was moved to write Strange Fruit. Um, And I've actually seen the picture and it is truly horrific. I don't suggest anyone go hunt it down. It's not a nice, you know, it's it's something that's genuinely really disturbing and makes sense, you know, the song. But the song makes sense when you see that in terms of, you know, how sort of dark and disturbing to some extent the, the song itself is. Um, and I can really remember the first time I ever heard the song. Um, the first time I heard it was actually the Nina Simone version um, yeah. of the song. I was just listening to like a Nina Simone compilation album because I love her when I was a teenager. Um, and 
I, I feel like I really remember being like quite like physically stopped in my tracks when I heard the song. Mm-hmm. Like it just, it has this, this power um, and it's so unlike any other song I think I've ever heard, to be honest. Um, there is just something about it. Um, and yeah, it totally stopped me in my tracks and I had to go like find out everything about it like straight away and figure out what it was about and what was going on because it was, was it, genuinely... Wasn't... What, I'm, I might have this wrong, but was it originally written as, as a poem rather than a song? Yes, you're right, it was. So Abel Mirapol okay. wrote, um, wrote a, it as a poem, which I think was called Bitterfruit um, mm. originally and then yeah, it later got developed into a song and then Billie Holiday ended up being the one who was chosen to to perform it. Um, so the song itself depicts a lynching with, like I said, this really sort of disturbing power, like strange fruit refers to the body hanging from the trees and the imagery of the song is really brutal, kind of like blood on the leaves, Mm. blood at the root and the bulging eyes and twisted mouth. So it's very quite visceral in, in its words as Mm. well as sort of its sound and performance. Um, and although the Nina Simone version was the first one I heard and, I really, I really think that's an amazing version. I do think that the original version by Billie Holiday is sort of the most powerful version um, yeah. of the song and the most moving. Mm-hmm. So um, Billie Holiday first performed the song at Cafe Society, which was a left-wing integrated nightclub, um, and rules were enforced for the song's performance. So every time she would perform it, basically Holiday would close all of her sets with it, Service would be halted before sh- beforehand. The whole room would be plunged into darkness, except for a spotlight just on holiday, and there would be no encore. So it would be the absolute last song of the set. It was said like, you know, they felt people needed to be left with it, like it needed to be left like burning with people because yeah. it's that sort of powerful of a song. Um, and the response to almost every performance of the song would basically be like this moment of shocked silence. Because I think in that same way when I first heard it, like people just don't really couldn't like process what they've even just heard exactly. Um, but yeah. then followed by a roar of approval because it is also sort of this incredible piece of art. Um, and so in terms of why Billie Holiday's kind of performance of it is, is so powerful, um, I think in terms of just her, the way that she performs in general, this was a description of her by um, jazz producer Milt Gabler um so he said when she was on stage in the spotlight she was absolutely regal it was something the way she held her head up high the way she phrased each word and got to the heart of the story in in a song and to top it all she knew where the beat was um but this whole thing of sort of like this like regality to her performance but also this thing of the way she phrases each word and, and really gets to the heart of the song I think is what you really hear like yeah. it's more it's more than just someone singing a song like it's really truly a performance where the way she sings each word it feels carries this certain power if you know what i mean yeah um and so yeah so her regular label was columbia and they were too scared to release it um so it was recorded and released by a small left wing label run by milk gabler called commodore records mhm um and the song did then and still does kind of provoke a, a variety of reactions from people and also sort of raises questions and issues associated with the whole idea of, of political music. Um, because 
it's sort of it's different to a lot of other protest songs which i feel is sort of a lot of protest songs are designed in that way for everyone to kind of sing together like rouse people to action um whereas this more than sort of stirring you to action kind of like chills you and stops you in your place and makes you think um and so you know for many people the song is a moving and important piece of art that makes people sit and listen and think um, and many who became social activists, especially in the 60s, um, it was sort of hearing Strange Fruit that kind of triggered that process for them. Um, and I also think that's an interesting thing to think about with the song, that, you know, kind of the civil rights movement didn't come about properly until the 60s, right? Yeah. And this song came out in 1939. Just kind of how early on that is for it to have such sort of um, explicitly kind of... Um, racially motivated political content if that makes sense yeah it's quite um surprising and amazing that that happened so early on um and especially with a song like this that's so powerful well exactly it's like the the honesty and in your faceness of the lyrics yeah. of really basically putting out to the world as in this is what is happening and actually exactly. you are going to listen and this yeah the description of it to get people to think right and the fact that, you know, even today we are still faced with such horrendous racism. I mean, a lot of the things we'll talk about today, it's just, it's almost, it's, it's heartbreaking to to feel that we haven't really come that far from, mm. from, from those times. We have, to a certain degree, in, in you know, in, in society in certain places, but... There is just still... I mean, how could Brexit have happened? And uh, I'm not even going to get started on that rant, rant. But, you know, it's... I mean, I'm, I'm really glad that you picked that song. And when you said you were doing it, I sort of was just like, I, I, know, I knew you would do do it justice, if, if that makes sense. And I think it's a very important song that... Um, that should... That, that, that everyone should listen to and everyone should, should sit and think about about what that song says and what, yeah. what it's telling you, really. Yeah, um, yeah, I, I totally yeah. agree. And that that's totally the, the side of it that I fall on and sort of that's the reaction to it that I have. Um, but on the other side, you know, at the time especially, and probably even now, there were some who found the song depressing and were disturbed by the imagery. Um, and for some people, it in some cases, it, it sort of brought back memories of people's personal experience of racism mm-hmm. or even lynching, you know, at that time, people who had witnessed lynching. And so you can understand having a negative reaction to it potentially yeah. on that level. Um, and some even feared um, that the song, rather than educating people, might provoke racial hatred and lead to a new wave of lynchings. Um, so whether I'm not sure that that's true and that that's a thing that happened. It was just something. Oh, that people but that's going to have been some some racist person that would have probably have said that as in pipe down. Don't say anything because you'll only make it worse. You know, and if you make it worse, it's your fault because you out a song like that you know it's it's like yeah I just I just feel like you know sometimes with with music it it's it's not there to to make you laugh and dance and fall in love to and things like that it has a statement and it has the power to make you feel a certain way and this is one of those songs that um you know of course it it was going to have a variety of reactions to it um but I, I can't imagine that that anyone that was and I'm probably wrong with this, but anyone that was was in support of, of change for the better in that situation would ever have really said that that song shouldn't shouldn't be you know a, a worthy song out there 
and should be hidden away in a cupboard you know let's let's pretend these things aren't happening you know no exactly no I I totally I totally agree with that um but I do also think that it's a song that made people uncomfortable and not just people like as in people like I say because of their personal experiences and just to finish off I I wanted to talk a little bit about the sort of the fact it's been covered by dozens and dozens of people Mm -hmm. um and it's a song that I don't always think people should cover just in the sense of like it's it's a song with so much power and so much sort of I don't know and about something that's so important and so sort of brutal in in the lyrics that I think that by taking it on it comes with a certain responsibility do you know what I mean I think that it's a song that if if you're gonna decide to cover it I think it has to resonate with some sort of level of of personal experience and understanding and I, I think that you shouldn't be taking it lightly as a song to perform. I don't know, maybe yeah. that's me being over the top about it, but somehow I just don't think it's a song that every other artist should consider covering, if you know what I mean. Who who do you think would be the worst person to do a cover? What sort of <laughs> the version? worst part? I don't know, like some like <laughs> ridiculous like country singer like Brad Paisley or something. Can you imagine? <laughs> um but um, you know, I mean some some people who did do great versions of it, um Eartha Kit performed strange fruit mm-hmm. when she portrayed billy holiday in a one-person show in the 80s um yeah. but she found that the song was too upsetting for her um and her audience were traumatized by it and therefore she actually refused to perform the song again saying that i'm there as an entertainer my job is to help people forget yeah which again is this whole thing of you know entertainment as art and where you draw lines and should music i, I don't think this but should there are people that think music should just be for entertainment and you know there's sort of a a discussion around that but um the version I first heard and I think the only version that comes close to to living up to Billie Holiday's version um was Nina Simone in in the 1960s Mm -hmm. um you know she she added the song to her repertoire and was one of the only major artists to perform the song regularly at the time um and what she said about it was that is about the ugliest song I have ever heard Ugly in the sense that it is violent and tears at the guts of what white people have done to my people in this country, mm-hmm. um, which I think is is a great description of it. And you always find that people refer to it um, in like a physical sense, like rather than people sort of talking about how it sounds or, uh, and they talk about how it makes them feel. But it's always sort of like, you know, um, Nina Simone says, you know, that it's violent and tears at the guts of what white people have done to my country and you hear people talk about feeling strangled by it or like they've been hit in the chest by it I just think it's interesting like just talking about the power of it you know and the fact that it evokes this really quite physical reaction um and although that you know Nina Simone did perform it regularly for a time she eventually came to sing it rarely both because she then had her own civil rights songs but also because she once said it was too hard to so a lot a lot of performers including Billie Holiday uh were very personally affected by singing the song you know by connecting with it in the way that they did that brought so much power to it through their performance it also sort of took something from them and took a toll on them to to perform it um so like I said I I don't I can't think of another song like it for me that has the same power in the same way no um you know there there are other great protest songs I love for other reasons but there's I can't think of any that are quite so brutal and honest um, in depi- and brave in depicting something so sort of horrific 
with such power. Um, so for me, it, it's just, yeah, it's a song like no other. Um, and everyone should listen to it and know, and know about it and understand it, I think. Yeah, no, I, I completely, completely agree. One minute, I'm just going to let my dog out. But um, <laughs> but yeah, uh, but I, I guess actually before I do, actually while we do that, why don't we do something to sort of lighten the mood? Yeah, sorry, a it's a bit of a dark one, that song. It's hard, you can't really cover it in a in a light and fun fashion. Well, I was thinking of trying to do some sort of fun connection and I thought it's just so inappropriate. How, yeah. do, how, how do you come back you don't from do that? it. Put on some music. <laughs> <laughs> but Kathy, what, uh, yeah, um, any thoughts on Strange Fruit? Um, yeah, it, uh, actually, I kind of, um, yeah, I, I, I've just gone a little bit weird because I've, I've kind of like just listening. I've realised that it um, triggers something in me that I kind of, um, I try not to bring the mood down, but I'm, yeah. It's such a, I don't even, I, I don't actually, I've, I've actually run out of words. I thought I had lots of intelligent words to say about um, protest songs, but there's something so, uh, uh, because things haven't moved on enough. Yeah. Um, it's sometimes a, it's like we're living in a horror where, stories that we've heard of from a hundred years ago so i actually wrote something not long ago about um please don't let the 2030s reflect the 1930s because you know we're we're heading there so fast and um you know in 2020 we have um yeah policemen uh taking selfies with dead women yeah um and that is the equivalent of, um, yeah, you know, it's like a strange fruit selfie. I mean, yeah, yeah. I've lost all my trains of thoughts now because there's just something, you know, just hearing it. You, you, you're actually so articulate that um, I've lost all my, all my um, trains of, of thought now. But this is why protest songs are important and I could never articulate like you have why they um you know I've got actually got quite a lot that speak to me and maybe um my choice of um favorites is more like now that's what I call fuck you than now that's what yeah. I call music because actually uh, there were so many I was just thinking whether it's like from like Woody Guthrie, Nina Simone to you know, like modern things, um, to um, Sunday Bloody Sunday by you too. Everybody mm-hmm. has got you know, and and, it, and when it and and it comes from like yeah, do a few year. Can we talk about this? You know, it's I don't know. I just I've no, I've lost all my articulation though. Sorry. But, but, think... First of all, thank you very much for calling me articulate. Not sure that's ever happened before. <laughs> <laughs> um, but also, um, I think uh, what you said about. Um, you know the the policeman with the selfies and and feeling like we've not come far enough. That's the thing when you really think that this song was set calling out so clearly for something in the 1930s, and that we're just not where we should be considering that that it was being called out against so long ago. You know, um, exactly. But 
what the bet you know you just uh, you have to try it's like you say it's hard not to let it kind of drag you down and I think it's okay to be left speechless by it especially a, a song with this much power that we're talking about as as an example um but you just try to keep doing better right and you keep trying to help those around you do better and you try to do your part in in making a difference every day in that way and that's about all you can do really and society will get there and I believe that it will it just you know comes in fits and starts I think so I think should we play some so so what's your your song that you've brought this week Kerry uh I have brought a song by Rose Hip Tea House this week um who I discovered because of Balcony Fest um, you know, without being able to go to gigs, Balcony Fest has sort of been my my main way of discovering new bands, um, I found really. Um, and yeah, so I'd never heard them before and I saw them um, on Balcony Fest and was just really grabbed um, by them. Um, so the song I've, uh, I'm going to play is called Regretting It. So let's have a listen. Uh, so that was Regretting It by Rosehip Teahouse. 
Um, the song was released on Sad Club Records um, and they've got a new single coming out called Thought Number no. 3 uh, very soon on the th- 31st of July. So look out for that one. Um, and then an EP called Chillin' in the Void, which will be out on August 14th. Um, and Faye said um, about the song, regretting it, um, that it is a song I wrote last year when I was feeling totally overwhelmed. I struggle with understanding and coping with my emotions at the best of times and I was making decisions that I knew were bad for me and trying not to sink under the weight of it all. I found myself dwelling on a lot of this stuff over the lockdown as all the empty time allows a lot of room for overthinking and it felt like the right time to record it. Now it's out of my system, I feel a lot better and can kind of laugh about it a bit. I've never clapped on a song before and the synth solo brings me a lot of joy that breaks up the sadness behind it all. Um, so I really like that description about the song. And for me, I love it so much because it's that real like chilled out kind of acoustic vibe with really good songwriting, um, really beautiful singing, beautiful harmonies um, that is just, yeah, a kind of music that, that I really love. And I think they do it so well. I like the honesty about the, the description. Like yeah, She's not exactly. trying to be a wanker going, oh, when I was five, I was influenced by this and blah, blah, blah. And But talking about lockdown... Um, you know, loads of people have been getting new hobbies, haven't they? Or trying their hand at new things. Yeah. And on a podcast episode, you mentioned about Google ads following you around, yeah. about an inflatable so, canoe. And we now have evidence to back this motherfucker up, right? So, so basically, yeah. this is what happened. So if you listen to the, the previous podcast where this came up, you'll know this. But there was a situation, obviously, we all kind of get these targeted ads right on Facebook and so um we did an experiment to see if we were to keep talking about inflatable kayaks would we get targeted ads about inflatable kayaks because that's something totally random right so if it were to come up you can be pretty sure that's because your phone is listening to you so we did it for quite a while never got a targeted ad years have gone by since then and then it came up Again. Which probably means that. Well, no, 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 because doesn't... no, 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 because 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 then we talked about it on the podcast, which was not that long ago, right? And then I'm sitting. I'd I'd like got it into bed last night. Was just having a little scroll through Facebook before going to sleep, and I got an ad for inflatable kayaks. It actually <laughs> happened, and I immediately sent it to everyone who has ever been involved in that story, and everyone is super like everyone's day was made <laughs> and and now and now we're actually going to get inflatable kayaks and that you can you can get them from from Lidl yeah so the ad was for Lidl which is selling them for like under 40 quid or something insane so there you go oh, you brilliant. want you want a cheap inflatable kayak for under 40 quid get yourself down to Lidl bug eye are going to be doing it they're two person kayaks we've only got to buy two and we're out on the water we're we're totally doing it like seriously. So this this is this is this is like the debate. So is you know is marketing a bad thing, Kerry? When all of the joy that we're gonna have. That's true. This is from, well. This is the, yeah. You our, see now little... now I don't know how I feel about it, right? Because generally the whole targeted ad thing makes me a bit uncomfortable, like feeling like my phone is is listening to me and stuff. But the possibility of us now owning inflatable kayaks is kind of changing my whole vibe with the whole thing, basically. Talking about, uh, what were we talking about? Protest songs. I think there's there's some jolly good protest songs out there that really do kind of make us gather together and, and change things for the better and get up and stand for our, stand up for our rights. There are some that are obviously there to 
to make us contemplate uh, our own behaviour and, and how we can do things better. And I suppose that there are a number of songs that I could have picked to to talk about. But um, but that, uh, I'll get on to the one that I, I've chosen for this week in a moment. But some of the ones that I didn't choose, I'm going to reel off, just because I think they are worth a mention and I think they're fantastic, is... Um, Kathy already mentioned it, was Get Up, Stand Up by Bob Marley and the Wailers, which is absolutely superb. There's Killing in the Name of, Rage Against the Machine, Imagine, which is by John Lennon, which I think is is probably one of the most beautiful um, protest songs that, that are out there that I really think is... It's almost like what a religion should be, right, is, is that song... Um, and I, I think, you know, I wish I'd actually picked that right now to talk about because um, I feel celebrating the sort of more beautiful protest songs in, in that in that sense is is quite important. Um, I don't know, Kathy, what do you what do you think? Protest songs? What are you thinking? Oh, God, now that you mention it, I wish I'd um, um, chosen Imagine too. Actually, um, I know I'm going off kilter here, but I really, really wish that there in this day and age of everybody, um, the public protesting, I wish we just had a protest chart. Yeah, <laughs> I'd be into that. That's, that's totally what we should that. have. I would, I, would, I would love a rebel radio where they just like every genre of music that has something to say that cared about people. Um, you know, I, I, I don't know, because we, we, you would end up with some of the biggest and best tunes you know i think that ghost town by the specials is yeah. now you know yeah it's everything so well, yeah. now all the protest songs from you know yeah look from the 1930s to the 2030s these are all the best songs these are the people's songs i love the um smiley and the underclass saying are there any rebels out there and i sometimes wonder well are there and there are and yeah. you know what the good people are the majority, are the many. And um, it, the fact that we have to protest against the aliens landing with their fucking shitty capitalism bollocks, you know, yeah. what is that with the money? What is that with being a millionaire, a billionaire, a trillionaire, when you can see somebody, some poor old lady just died. She was three stone. She died of cancer. Um, what is that? You know, this is yeah. like... You, you know, are we civilization? No, we're not. We are a second world, third world country. If we're not looking after people, why are? Why does it take somebody saying we have to feed starving children and people like oh me? It's like no, no me about it. What is this? What is the matter with us? Um, you know what? If if you're not protesting, you're not paying attention, and that's it, really. Yeah. yeah. I've gone off everything I wanted to say. I wanted to say really good things about protest songs. I love lots of protest songs. As I say, um, the one that always, you know, I'll probably sit up, wake up and fight the power um, by public enemy is probably mm. um, somewhere under my skin because <laughs> I want to fight the power and the yeah. power is like, um, you know, they the power thinks we're in um, Star Wars and it's the Empire Strikes Back or the Empire Strikes Black. Um, and the fantastic thing about rock and roll, again, I'm, I'm protesting. I'm protesting 
that um, actually, because it's radio, anybody who doesn't know who I am, did I mention I'm black? Yeah, I'm black. I rock. Um, and the fact that kind of it shouldn't actually matter, and it doesn't matter, it didn't matter, but I'm going to say it because um, it's as if, you know, you're less human if you've got a fucking super tan. I've got a brilliant tan. Hello, chocolate. <laughs> I, love, I love my skin. I love the skin I'm in, and I don't think people should be rude to me just because I've got a great tan, you know. Um, and I think that kind of, you know, people find all kinds of reasons to be rude to people, whether you're poor or you're, you know, you're sh short, tall, fat, thin, all of that. I protest at all of it. I protest at um, how we have taken down society. I protest at the lies. I take protest at the fascist coup. And yeah, we need to have um, a protest songs chart because there's too many, you know, like Woody Guthrie says, all you fascists bound to lose. But I'm impatient for that. I'm fucking impatient. You know, um, Dear Fury, yeah, I just think, you know, can we talk about this? Like, yeah. And, oh, sorry, I'm, 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 I'm getting carried away, sorry. You, no, you're, you're totally not brilliant. getting carried away at all. I absolutely love the idea of a protest chart. I feel like we need to make our own version of that or something through like a Spotify playlist or I think we need to do something with that. I'm having that. Brilliant. Yeah, I think it needs to be bigger than a Spotify Well, I just playlist. do, I mean, as a starting point, but I'm saying what, you know, if there's something we should do to That's have some sort of... Come from what you're doing. Something's going to come from what you're doing. I hope so. Um, and as well, I was, Fight the Power for me, I think as well is such like, the quintessential idea of what a protest song should be right like it it's a clear simple message um that is easily understood um right there in the lyrics it's in your face it makes you want to everyone sing along and sing it together and makes people want to fight the power like it's right there in the lyric right and it makes you want to do it yeah let's get everybody involved and they can all submit their favorite protest songs we will have their playlist for every yeah. party that's going down. I and mean, it's like, there's your festival, stick your festival on and yeah, you know, go for it. Yeah, let's do it. I reckon we can have some sort of poll for people to nominate think... songs for this this uh, protest chart. You know, the thing is, it really is so ready, steady, bang. And it's like, I'm sorry to like throw your album title back at you, but that is <laughs> how things happen. This is yeah. how this UK documentary um, flourish this because you know kind of I don't know all these songs are going in my head you know I don't know I'm so excited I was really down just now and now I'm really excited oh my god well that, right. that's that's the power of the protest song I think right it's like it, well, it's like it makes you realize that we want to come together that like we want to make things better and that's exciting yes 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 well something's <laughs> happened right now right on this podcast Something has happened and we don't know what it is yet. Um, but you know what, what things are gonna So as I love I love chatting with you, Kathy, because it there's always ideas and things that, that come out of this that then, you know, flourish into something that actually happens in reality. And um I'm not sure if many people know, but the whole idea behind Crow Crow Land was inspired by by Kathy St. Luce. Um and wanting to kind of pull together um, all of the sort of grassroots people that we knew that were putting on shows, managing bands, running small labels, 
to to make something that was really collaborative and that would never have happened if it if it wasn't for Kathy so um so yeah I think you know the festival owes owes a lot to to Kathy St Luce so uh thank you <laughs> oh don't 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 get emotional <laughs> right um I suppose with so so if you could play any song right now by an artist could be a new artist um a protest song who would who would it be do you have anyone in mind oh god my mind is so full first of all oh a protest song who would i go with i'd probably go with well no i always go with with the um, ball of confusion by the temptations but <laughs> <laughs> i can't always go with that i can't i can't kind of go with tolerate by the manics but you know i think it would not fuck the police it's really feeling like fuck the police because of that gestapo thing that that geezer i mean that fucking bright orange one he's lost it isn't he that one i think i think you'll like i think you'll like this story kathy because i almost feel like what i'm about to talk about now um is is pretty much talking about today so um I mean, I'm obviously going to state the dates so we'll know when it is because I was going to take it out, but we know how terrible I am with dates later. So if I just I confuse just, myself... It I was, I was waiting go. for my moment to, to tease you on that one. I'm not, I'm not giving <laughs> Kerry that again, what, what, ever. So what, what, what's the date, Angela, that you're going to talk about? Which one is it? I'm about to talk. I'm about to talk. Shut <laughs> no, I'm about to talk about life in 1979. Oh, she got it right. Ooh. Yeah. The year of my birth, right? Yeah, there we go. All about you, what Angela. What a wonderful All about year you. this 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 was. Okay, um, so just just to sum up what life was like in 1979 before I get to my my protest, your birth, um, my birth, my birth, <laughs> the most important thing. So to sum up 1979, there was this magical moment. No, um, no. So if you can imagine what life was like, I mean, so Britain's trade unions. Um, entered in 1979 into a state of discontent at Jim Callaghan's attempt to control um, soaring inflation by limiting pay. Um, you know, reactions to so many things that were going on in Britain at that time, civic squares piled up with um, high with uncollected rubbish. Grave diggers were even striking at the time. There was a murdered MP. The National Front was thriving unemployment was was absolutely soaring and britain was in a meltdown essentially it was the year that the conservative party led by margaret thatcher um ousted the labor government um with a majority of 43 seats and she would become the first of united kingdom and europe's first ever elected female head of head of government um it was also the year that Sony launched the very first cassette player Walkman on on the market for like £200 or something like that, which is about a billion pounds in today's money. Um, <laughs> McDonald's also introduced the Happy Meal. Mother Teresa won the Nobel Peace Prize and China ordered its citizens to have no more than one child. Um, and that, that was the restrictions that were put in place at that time. And smallpox was eliminated. Uh, the release of the Sugar Gangs, Sugar Hill Gang, sorry, Rapper's Delight in October 1979 was credited with heralding the birth of hip hop. It was also the year that Sid Vicious died of a heroin overdose 
when he was on bail for the murder of his girlfriend, Nancy Spungen. It was the birth of the Southall Black Sisters, which was formed also in 1979 to support all black and Asian women living in the UK through campaigns providing legal advice and information um, and offering counselling and these things. And another huge thing that happened in 1979, and these are just a few things, um, but there was a huge um, abortion rights march which took place. Um, Margaret Thatcher just got into to government and the women's movement at the time thought this was a positive thing, having a woman in, in such a powerful position, but um, was soon to um, see the reality of the situation when her government launched an attack on abortion rights. There was around 50,000 people that gathered together to protest um, on October 28th of that year. And it was a national de demonstration against the Corrie Bill. And just to tell you what the Corrie Bill was, it was um, named after John Corrie, who was a Scottish Conservative MP. And the bill was essentially, they wanted to sort of reduce the legal limit from when you could have an abortion from 28 weeks to 20 weeks and restrict the abortions to sort of instances where, you know, a woman could have an abortion if it was life-threatening for her to have a child. And that they sort of wanted to um, look at criminalising charities that were offering abortion and pregnancy advice. So it, it really was quite a disgusting thing. And people were up protesting about it. I mean, the 70s were coming to an end and a new decade was about to begin. Um, th there, was, there was a feeling that, that change would, was about to happen, but not, not without a fight. And so my protest song, um, I don't think you'll be able to guess what it is because it's quite an unexpected one. Um, I'm picking Typical Girls by The Slits, which was released in 1979, was um, a really exciting record to pick. Um, they were the first group of female musicians doing doing it on their terms at that time. Um their sheer sort of inability to compromise or to sell themselves on sex appeal um, was a major inspiration to the right girl movement that would happen in the 90s. Um, it's an incredibly important record that when I was doing my research on this, on like, you know, best protest songs and all of this, this song never really um, appeared in the list. And a protest song doesn't necessarily have to be as in let's all club together, stand up and go and do this. It can be a statement. It can be about wanting change. It can be... And this is a really important song, given what was happening with, with um, the women's movement and in culture and society and all of that that was happening. It was a look at the mainstream music industry. It was, it was tackling stereotyping and also trying to make um, people realise, well, women realise, um, the prison that they were in without even knowing it. Um, and living on a daily basis. And I mean, some of the lyrics, so I'm just going to read, I'm not going to read the whole song out, because, um, yeah, it would be a bit, <laughs> um, yeah, a bit just dull don't, to listen don't to me. <laughs> no, I won't read the whole song out. That might kill some time, but, you know. Um, but, they, so they say, you know, typical girls get upset too quickly. Typical girls can't control themselves. Typical girls are confusing. Typical girls, you can always tell. Typical girls don't think too clearly. Typical girls are unpredictable, but pre predictable. Um, 
Then there's, there's other things, as in, so typical girls are looking for something. Typical girls fall under a spell. Typical girls buy magazines. Typical girls feel like hell. Typical girls worry about spots, fat and unnatural smells. Um, you know, it's it literally just runs through, you know, it says like typical girls are emotional. Typical girls, um, femme fatale. Typical girls stand by their man. You know, it's literally all of these statements as in what stereotypes of what women were supposed to be. And yet here that there were these girls not being typical girls on stage and performing and doing things that that were not seen as as what a girl group would would do, if you like. And um, I, I mean, I do. I am going to be covering the slits in a lot more detail in another show because I'm kind of part way through reading um, Viv from the band's um, memoir, which is highly entertaining. Great stories in there. But something I wanted to to kind of touch on that I thought was really important. I mean, she says that there's this Guardian article with her that's that's um titled how we made cut the album um and she talks about how we were all virgins when it came to composing and writing but we liked the ideology of malcolm mclaren and vivian westwood so we're going back to the whole kind of punk punk movement um always questioning things um and that kind of fed into their music she said we knew we were the first we and we felt a bit uncomfortable about that and we knew we were more revolutionary than the, than the Pistols and the Clash. I mean, they were a rock band, whereas we were using world music, reggae, filtered through our own musical abilities or lack of, right? So essentially it was just about making art. I mean, I mean, with, with punk, it was never about uh, necessarily a great deal of, of skill in the classical sense of music. It was It was about a statement, right? So, like I said, I've got a show in the not-too-distant future that goes into a lot more detail about the slits. But, um, you know, and having read Viv's memoir, an important thing that she talks about was, um, which I think is really true for today, she talks about growing up and never even entertaining the idea in her mind that she could be a musician. She absolutely loved music, but her thoughts of being involved in the music industry when she was younger was more about being a groupie or just trying to be friends with someone um, and not really understanding how she could be herself in music because it didn't dawn on her that she could be a musician because she'd only ever seen boys do it, right? So it was a very male thing. Um, And it wasn't until she went to work at Dingwalls in Camden that she finally saw a band um, with some female members and she she was really shocked and then shocked that she was shocked at that, right? And she was just like, oh, my God, there's there's women in a band. They're in a band. And then when she spoke to them, they were like, oh, we didn't even know how to play an instrument until we joined this band. We kind of just learned as we went along. And she was just like, oh, my God, like, I, I, could, I could do this. I could do this. Um, she didn't say that in her book in that voice. I'm kind of making that bit up myself, you know, and then she cried and then she, no, she didn't at all. Um, But I suppose the important thing that I'm trying to say with that was, so the song Typical Girls is, is very much a statement about what a lot of women would have felt at the time, even before that, like growing up, and at the time when that song came out, as in the stereotypes and what a woman was supposed to be or do or not do, um, is kind of stated in that song. And very much, you know, 
I know that, that Viv didn't necessarily write the whole song herself or anything like that, but that is just so true to what their upbringings were like and how they saw the world and how music changed that for them by seeing a performer on stage. And so I suppose the point I'm making is today we still have this issue of underrepresentation of women at festivals and a lot of promoters and people saying things like, well, oh, well, you know, there isn't that many female musicians out there and it should be based on X, Y, Z and blah, blah, blah. And and I just would like to say it's incredibly important for not, not just to see women performing on stage, but for it to not just be, and, and in rock music, indie music, for it to not just be a focus on the kind of white cis male view of what rock music is. It is a diverse place and to show that inspires more people to be part of that. And that can only enrich our music scene with with more diversity within it. I mean, you know, now, today, we see lots of lots of women in bands but in, in all kinds of genres of music, but it all had to start somewhere. And for, for Viv, that started with seeing and being inspired by a musician on stage. So I suppose I have kept mine super short this time. You'd be surprised. Um, I, um, I actually just wanted to just, just chip in with that. Um, when you were talking about what the song's about and reading out the lyrics, it, it just it suddenly made me think of a song I've been really enjoying recently, which is a more recent song, which is A Living Human Girl by The Regrets, um, okay. which I feel has like a very similar sort of sentiment to it, but just brought up to date, which I'm sure, you know, I, I've got to imagine that would have been influenced by that Slit song. Just for example, like the first verse, the words are, I've got pimples on my face and grease in my hair and prickly legs, yeah. go ahead and stare, an ass full of stretch marks and little boobs, a nice full belly that's filled with food. Like it's just about the whole song is lyrics is sort of like be, showing the reality, right, of, of being a, a girl and not living up to those stereotypes necessarily and yeah. not being what you're you're expected to be. Anyway, it just made me think of that song and I wanted to mention but it. I- but I also the reason why I wanted to talk about the seventies as well, um, seventy nine, um, you know, forty one years ago, and it feels like we're back in the same place. It feels like we yeah, go yeah, this, exactly. this big cycle, and and actually every time we go through it, we're slightly further along as human beings, as as mm. as being less fucking idiotic. Yeah. Um, with the way that we live, but yet the same things are happening again and again. Mm. My God, so many similarities. And, uh, and yeah, we're still talking about the same issues. I think that's, I I think that's a really good way to describe it. Like this cycle, right? Where it feels like we move forwards and then it it somehow feels like we seem to take a few steps back and then we seem to move forwards again and we get a little bit further, but then we seem to fall back again. And then I think that's a really good way to describe how, like the way that progress seems to work. Well, thank you. I know. And so I'm going to play a song by, I think, a band that are doing fantastic things in music out there and really trying to to kind of move things forward. So the band I'm going to play is, is Dream Nails and the song is Payback.
that was that was Dream Nails with the song Payback. And um, I'm going to quote from, from Getting Her Ears, who did a fantastic article on this song. And she wrote, It's a rallying cry against the lack of justice for survivors of sexual violence. Getting Her Ears' favourites, Dream Nails, have shared their powerful new single, Payback, taken from their upcoming self-titled debut album, set for release on the 3rd of April via Alcapop Records. The track is accompanied by a poignant video showcasing the work of UK feminist activist group Sisters Uncut. I love the way they describe themselves and they're doing so mighty well that they've even got themselves on Wikipedia. So Dream Dream Nails are an all-female DIY punk right girl band uh, from London. They were founded in 2015. The group identify themselves as punk witches and are known for their writer's live shows, the mixed storming guitar punk and sweep three-part harmonies. And they make fantastic content on social media too that is hilarious. So um, I would I would definitely check check that out. And they've even launched their own. I think they've launched like a fans WhatsApp group where they chat to their fans over WhatsApp or or so. I'm sure I saw something like that, or I may have dreamt it. Um, and I'll post all sorts of links in our in our um, show notes and all of that jazz, so you can check it out. But seeing, seeing as we've got a little bit of time, we could. I've, I've got. I've got some fun fact quiz questions for you both. This is so not to do with anything to do with protest. <laughs> by the way, um, <laughs> I just realised this. I hadn't really thought this through. Um, okay, but but talking about you know seventy nine, we're now in the eighties. You know, I'm slowly moving us through the decades. So. So talking about big movements and, and things in history, how many people do you think tuned in to see Prince Charles and Lady Diana get married? Oh, about six million. No. Kerry? I've got absolutely no clue. Is it higher or lower than six million? Higher. Higher? Mm. Ten million. A billion. What? A billion people. A billion people thought that was what they needed That's to spend insane. their time doing. Well, I'm, I'm fascinated because both, the mobile phones and the royal family have got smaller. Because, <laughs> like, that, that chick got married the other day and, um, I don't know, nobody gives a shit. Because well, yeah. <laughs> Princess Jonathan got married to some bloke. And, <laughs> like, whatever. It yeah, really yeah. Like whatever because <laughs> nothing, it didn't even trend. Well, there, there you go. There you go. Um, I think I think that's you see I knew Kathy would turn it around for me, um, but do, do you want do you want to know another fascinating fact Is from that, the eighties? Only if it's actually fascinating. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, well, let's see. Did you know that in nineteen eighty four, customs seized twenty thousand counterfeit cabbage patch dolls. Twenty thousand. They were that. They were honest. Cabbage, cabbage, patch dolls. cabbage patch dolls were in massive demand, right? Right. To to the point, I remember really wanting one. I don't know why I really wanted one because I hate when I grew up. I hated dolls, but I wanted a cabbage patch doll. And my dad got like some kind of um, dodgy, fake version of one. Um, that that yeah, because because I was supposed to come with like birth certificates and all stuff like that. And um, yeah, so I got like a counterfeit rubbish cabbage patch doll. So that that obviously got through customs. So well done, Dad. The cabbage patch doll craze hit fever pitch 
in the 1980s to the point parents were getting into knockdown fight. They were getting like basically into fights at shops to get a Cabbage Patch doll. They were that much in demand. They didn't want to let little Johnny down. Johnny? Johnny, well, Johnny can have a pad cabbage why not? patch doll. Why not little Johnny? Why not? Why not little Johnny? See, there we go. Need to change my thoughts instantly. Um, and then also a crazy thing happened in, in 1984 as well was you were legally required to use a seatbelt where you didn't have to before then. And that, that is my non-related <laughs> well. protest song <laughs> Still not really sure why that happened, but cool. Well, I just, I don't know. I feel like, you know, part of me wants to have my own quiz at some point. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to be a landlady of a pub. Uh, I'm going to have a fucking pub quiz. Yeah, that's um, going to be just as good as that. It's just a little taster for you. Well, you know, don't don't feel the need to reserve me a seat. (gasps) But so, Kerry, as a friend, you wouldn't support me in my like, new venture of, like, I've, I've, I've got a pub, you know, social distancing. There's not going to be many people there. Can you help fill a seat at least? I'll, I'll come, just um, not on quiz night. It's not on quiz night. <laughs> but it'd be really important to me. It's one of those things. It'd be like, it'd be like a first gig. Would it? You know, you know that thing when you invite people along and they say they're going to come uh-huh. and then just before you go on stage, your phone starts beeping. You text <laughs> messages from people going... Oh, oh, sorry. Oh, I'm like, oh, really sorry. Oh, like, I've hurt my little toe. Or, oh, I, I didn't get my fringe cut, so I can't see. I can't leave the house. You know, um, <laughs> and and you're, and you're going, you've, why? What? Just don't come. Don't, don't text me, like, the minute before I'm going to go on stage saying, <laughs> no one cares about your band. <laughs> anyway, from my perspective, note to self. Grow fringe out in preparation for <laughs> when Angela starts a quiz night. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so I suppose I suppose we're coming almost to the end of the show, but I thought it might be nice to put Kathy on the spot and ask her if she's got any fun funny stories from the nineties that she cares to share. So anything that's sort of from working with bands through the time. It doesn't have to be 90s, actually, but a real standout memory. memory. Well, <laughs> I've got loads of memories, but I think what well, the one that stands out for me, actually, is um, spending a weekend with Howard Mark, who came um, out to do a, an interview with Stereophonic, and um, who's just this um, amazing, magical Welshman. And it was St. George's Day, and he was like, when I met him, the first thing he said was like, yeah, like St. George could kill a dragon with that little prick of a sword. And I thought, this is, I just love you. And he inspired the Love Pirate, which is my chosen career, because he <laughs> pointed out that actually the most formidable um, kings of the sea were the women. The women pirates, and um, he, he was like, I don't know, he just he's just the most wonderful man. Like, we got onto a train to Leicester for the first show, and he lit up a really big fat one, and um, <laughs> they had smoking carriages in them days. But I thought, well, there's smoking carriages and there's smoking carriages, but we didn't get arrested, nothing happened. And it was like, you know when someone's got a, an aura around them where people are like, 
I'm not going to arrest him for smoking pot on the train. It's Howard Marks. And he really is Mr. Nice. And when we got to Leicester, these two old ladies came up to him and said, oh, you're a naughty boy, aren't you? And he just smiled <laughs> and they loved him. And it was like walking in a bubble with a magical lord all weekend. And then we went up to Manchester and um, I think like very phonics were posing on the top of the Manchester Apollo for a photo session. And all I could think of was, oh my God, what if one of them just falls off because they were teasing me, but I was scared they were going to die. And I just thought, how do you say, oh, I'm so sorry I killed one of the band while they were getting their photo took. But then I just thought, well, we're with Mr. Nice. It's going to be all right. And it was all right. Stereophonic flu. And when one night when we went, the first time I saw Sun live, which was about 2016, maybe. Yeah. And there was a not, and as we got to um, Grays in Essex, there was the most amazing um, skies, like Valhalla was opening. And only the next day I found out that Howard Marks had just died. But the mm. heavens actually welcomed him. They actually said, Mr. Nice, we're putting on this big art show just for you. That's how special you are. And um, I don't even know if that's a story, but that's what came to, to mind as a memory. He's just in my mind today. I love mm. him. Fantastic book called Mr. Nice by about about Howard Marks. So I recommend people read that. Actually, Kerry, have you read it? I haven't read it. I will. It's on my shelf in your bedroom Ooh. in in my house. So yeah, you can have a have a read of that. I'll have to pick it up next time I'm around. But yeah. you are all part of this same story because this is how things happen. It's like you know, yeah, I kind of use the word magic and magical maybe too much. But kind of what happens around Bug Eye, what happens around, you know, like the 90s, what's going to happen next thanks to all these wonderful kids, you know. I'm even, um, like, um, I couldn't get Bug Eye for, like, Art Beat Fest. There's this idea I had of having an expo a couple of years ago. But I did get to, to, to work with you, um, and so I'm so excited. And one of the bands I've worked, Moses, I'm now like their mama bear, which is kind of like a manager who doesn't do managing, but does mama bear. But I feel <laughs> like mama bear to a lot of fans. You know, I just kind of, um, I love the band as fans, but you're also just, as, I just love you as people. You know, you've got like heart and you make things happen. You make people happy. I don't know, I don't know if no, anybody tells you, like, with, you're not just your songs, just the things you do, the way you feel about people. The fact that you've got a, a, a podcast and we go dark to light and I want to cry because I'm sad and because I'm happy. You know, they, all of you guys are just like the fucking best. And, um, oh, oh, God, Kathy. Oh, I know, we're all getting emotional now. End all in tears on this one. No, we love, we, yeah, we love you as well. And I think, I know what you mean about, uh, I don't like saying you worry, saying maybe you overuse the word magic, but I totally feel it in, in the scene. Um, and that's why since I've joined um, Bug Eye, that's kind of been much, everything I love about being in the band, but I've just loved becoming part of this whole scene as well. And all the people I've met through that, that have sort of become my, my life in London, because 
when I moved up here to join Bug Eye, I, you were the only people I knew for the most part in London. That kick out the jams framed picture speaks volumes. Yeah, about yeah. What's real, what's real. Yeah, that's that's what I I just love about your your documenting scene. It's like when you're posting about things, even when you're like looking back, it's like. Oh my God! There's me. There's that. There's that person. Is you just recognise so many familiar faces, and like we're in London, which has like twelve million people living here, and the music scene is not small, but the community kind of just sort of weaves its way together, and 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 just f- makes you feel so connected. And London isn't this scary, like unfamiliar and unfriendly place that that it is known to be. Um, to, to, to other people that, that say that about about London but to me the way I have experienced it is is just you know you can find fantastic kindred spirits within the music in, like with, with whatever your your passion is really I suppose and mine mine's music and I, I feel incredibly lucky and blessed to have met the people that that I that I've met and uh, yeah and a lot of those people came through through cafe. Actually, so we cry and then we, and then we, what can we do to go up? I know we need to, we need to go up, up, up. I did <coughs> well, an awful is, quiz. Sort of I did like, an awful quiz. I don't know. Even so, if we are feeling quite emotional, it's emotional on a positive note, isn't it? It is, but I feel like I don't know. There needs to be a comedy moment, Kerry. Can you pretend to fall off a chair or something? <laughs> <laughs> give me a give me a bit longer. It probably won't be pretend. But then her hair's so big when she falls, she doesn't hit her head. It's like she just, sort of just bounces bounce. up. It's, it's like um... it's like having a head surrounded by springs. It's amazing. <laughs> so thank you so so much for joining the show. And uh, we do have some other guests coming up on some other podcast shows, but I haven't quite booked them all in yet, so I won't say when they're happening. Um, so, um, but yes, but but stay stay tuned. Follow us on Twitter um, <laughs> at Bug Eye Band or on Facebook at Bug Eye Music, or drop us an email at rockpoprambles at gmail.com if there's a story you want us to cover badly or any new bands that you want us to play that no one will hear on the show. So um, yeah, you know, <laughs> I'm joking. People do listen. Please listen. <laughs> um, okay, I think I think that's probably about it. Um, yeah. So thanks everyone. Thank you. And over and out. Thank you.